Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, it's episode 26 for the love of the game with your boy Aaron Tobin Hess. Let's get it started. Shout out to them people, 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 I just always had opinions. My daddy told me, listen, you better get some money and I die, go to prison. So you see, yeah, I got rich and stayed free. Free the dogs doing BIDs. I know everybody not like me. Hey, got another one. All right, all right, all right. It is the For the Love of the Game podcast, episode 26. We are back. I am back behind the mic. Feels good to be back. Uh, So the personal schedule has been a little screwy since the last episode, but going forward, I should be back to a normal schedule. To my legion of loyal followers and listeners, expect a lot more of me going forward. Now that I'm on iTunes with uh, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher to come, let's help me get those internet dollars, everybody. Let's spread the word, but it's awesome to be back behind the mic, back in the studio. So a lot has happened since the last episode. So uh, let's get right into a little bit of a rundown. Um, Congrats to Rafael Nadal on his 11th French Open championship. Uh, He's an amazing 86-2 lifetime at Roland Garros and now has 17 majors for his career. What an unbelievable career that he's had. Just a quick note on the state of men's tennis. Uh, The old guys, uh, such as Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal, have won the last six majors. The men's draw has a ton of talent, but still, Fed and Nadal are a cut above. Congrats to Simone Halep. She won her first major at Roland Garros. Truth is, I didn't watch a single minute of the women's draw, but kudos to her. Uh, The World Cup is happening. Apparently, this is a big deal. Uh, And to quote my guys over at Pardon My Take, and that was uh, Talking Soccer. Major League Baseball is humming along. The Yankees, even though they've had a few issues, are uh, buzzing right along. Meanwhile, the Mets are an absolute disgrace, a dumpster fire. Jacob deGrom has like two wins in the last two months, despite having an ERA around one over that time. Just such a joke. The Astros look like they're going to be scary, if not uh, even more scary than they were last year. So uh, they're a team to definitely look out for. Uh, Baseball fans, um, just so you know, I will be having a baseball episode coming soon. But remember, there is a lot of the season left to be played. So plenty of time to get you caught up on what's going on um, and all the storylines in Major League Baseball. Big congrats to the Washington Capitals. The Caps finally broke through. It was indeed the Caps year. Shout out to PFT. Uh, Alexander Ovechkin finally broke through and his teammates have been on an amazing bender since then. Impressive partying to say the least. Now for the NHL in this scenario, they really couldn't lose with either outcome. Uh, It's always great to see a great player on a team that has been struggling for years and has experienced heartbreak and disappointment year in and year out. And to have them finally break through and to get their monkey off their backs, that's awesome. An awesome storyline for the league. Uh, And had Vegas won uh, as an expansion team, well, that would have been arguably the craziest story in sports history. Now, uh, it was just announced today, the Caps coach, Barry Trotz, announced he's stepping down, uh, being, you know, stepping away from the team. Talk about going out on top. And now to the NBA Finals, my expertise. The Golden State Warriors swept the Cavs to win their third title in four years, something my friend and excellent recurring guest Philip Bass predicted on last week's, I should say, episode 25. Now, a lot has happened. Um, A lot of talk in these finals, whether it was game one uh, that included the missed free throw, J.R. Smith's epic brain fart, LeBron James's amazing 51-point performance, uh, and then meltdown on the bench in between the fourth quarter and overtime. And that was only game one. But the result of how the rest of the series was going to go was really decided after game one. I never thought that Cleveland had any chance to win this series, but I did believe that LeBron 
given as great as he is, was going to take a game from the Warriors. But I always believed that the Celtics, uh, even as currently constructed without Hayward and Kyrie Irving, could have given the Warriors a bit of a tougher series uh, due to their defensive switchability and their effort on defense. But four straight wins for the Warriors. And there's a lot to discuss regarding LeBron James, whether it's his play in this finals or the antics off the court. We will touch on this in the LeBron James episode, which is going to be my next episode. Uh, Looks like we're putting that into works. But before we get into the NBA draft and the upcoming free agency, just a few thoughts specifically for those who are complaining about four straight years of this Golden State Cleveland saga, the NBA being boring, the Warriors breaking basketball, yada, yada, yada. If you're one of those people, like just shut it. And here's my retort to you. While, of course, as a sports fan, I want games to go down to the wire. I don't watch sports for drama. I watch sports to see the best players play at the highest level and do incredible things and to see competition. This finals with LeBron game one, Steph's games two and four, Durant in game three, you saw unbelievable individual performances. Some of the best players in NBA history playing at an incredibly high level. Now, if you want drama, watch Homeland, but that's not what you want watch sports, not just for drama. The Warriors drafted Steph, Clay, and Draymond. They never had a top five pick. And about 10 things had to happen for Kevin Durant to sign there. So this era of Golden State basketball, while it is incredibly dominant, and, and but it's so rare that given what these guys will command in salaries, what that's going to cost Warriors ownership, like this time will pass soon enough. So all the noise about the Warriors ruin the league, like super teams are not bad for a league. It keeps intrigue. It, it, it gives teams somebody to chase. It's even exciting to have a villain. So enough with that. Now, the series was a lot more compelling than your average sweep. As I mentioned before, game one was awesome and had like 7,000 different talking points that I'm sure you've probably all heard about a little bit. Uh, We're not going to get into the the absolute specifics there. Game three was awesome as well um, with Kevin Durant hitting that dagger three. Um, And then there was this underlying step versus KD narrative and, and what's going on within the Warriors and within the Warrior fan base. Now, as for Kevin Durant, I honestly believe that his accomplishments uh, with this Golden State team will never be on the same level as LeBron's championship with Cleveland or even his championships with Miami or even Dirk's title in Dallas. Like there are levels to this and winning titles. He did take the easy way out. And I think he's incredibly soft, soft as Charmin toilet paper, you know, for him to act the way he does. For him to believe that he's gained the full respect of his peers after piggybacking on the Warriors' prior success and winning titles with them, even if he was considered and named the finals MVP both of those years, and I debate the second one um, being his finals MVP. I actually thought it should have went to Steph Curry, but be that as it may, the Warriors will never love Kevin Durant like they do Curry. They just won't, and rightfully so. Uh, But for the Warriors... GM Bob Myers to joke about that same thing that will never really be Kevin Durant's town at the parade, knowing that Durant is a free agent was a little bit of a weird move. But anyway, that's a wrap on the 2018 NBA season. And now we're on to the draft and free agency, which should be a wild ride as it all always is. But this year, especially there's a lot of intrigue in terms of what's going to go on at the draft. Um, And you have teams who have been notoriously bad at making personnel decisions in control of the draft, starting with Sacramento at number two. We're not exactly sure what they're going to do. Then you have guys like Oklahoma's Trey Young, uh, a really polarizing prospect who can go anywhere realistically from like six to 14. But before we get into the draft, um, we had Kawhi Leonard, who's a top five, top six NBA player when healthy. He basically asked out of San Antonio, uh, first time that San Antonio, since they drafted Tim Duncan, has had really any upheaval 
Um, and that's been this year. So that's kind of crazy to think that a model franchise like them is having some upheaval. Kyrie Irving raised a few eyebrows with his comments about his contract and extension and how he's not going to sign an extension. So there's tons of stuff going on. NBA free agency is awesome and it kicks off July 1st. But before we go into that, we have to talk about this year's NBA draft that's happening Thursday night. And uh, just a note, my beloved Knicks have the ninth pick in the draft where they can very easily get a nice player, a really good rotation player, and hopefully a star. So hope springs eternal, but probably not because of the New York Knicks and we're uh, snake bitten and cursed. But um, so the draft is happening Thursday night, as I mentioned. There is it's a little bit of a weird year because it's a, a very deep draft. It seems like there's. You know, three tiers of player here. There's, you know, your top one or two players in um, DeAndre Ayton, who I personally don't love. We'll get into this a little bit more. And Luka Doncic. Um, And even within that top tier, you know, people aren't necessarily sold on Luka. And because of, you know, the market that he wants to be in, because, you know, he's a European wing and has certain uh, stigmas attached to him, he may fall out of the top four, top five, which would be crazy for who a lot of people consider to be the number one overrated player. in the, I should say number one rated player in the draft, not overrated player in the draft. Um, and, you know, as you all noticed within the NBA now, there's been a major focus on wing players and being able to switch positions and having guys, you know, be able to guard two, threes and fours. And at the top of this draft, it's a very big man, heavy draft. Uh, a lot of the top prospects are are fours and fives. And given where the league has been, especially with Golden State and Houston, it's kind of crazy that you're going to see a lot of bigs go within the top five. I mean, three out of the top five picks are, are four out of the top five picks, I should say, are slated to be forwards or centers. So that's a little crazy. Um, but we have more on that. To, we have more on the NBA draft. Uh, we're going to touch on with my uh, my guest who's coming up in a little bit. It should be an exciting night. There should be a whole bunch of trades, um, a lot of uncertainty. So we'll see how that goes. And uh, up next, I'm going to bring on my friend, uh, longtime listener, first time uh, guest, Aton Stern. We're going to talk about the Knicks offseason and the upcoming NBA draft. All right, everybody, uh, on the line, my friend and loyal listener, first-time guest, Aton Stern, someone who has heard many of my crazy opinions, but not so crazy because I only speak the truth. He's on the line to talk a little Knicks offseason and uh, NBA draft. Aton, what's going on, my man? Hey, man, how's it going? And let's get it right. They're all pretty much crazy. Uh, that's that's ridiculous. Blasphemy. We're, we're off to a hot, hot start. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to have you on. Um, you know, you're a, you know, someone who goes through the pain of being a Knicks fan, just like myself. We are we are damaged people. So obviously the big Very news, damaged. obviously the big news so far um, for the Knicks offseason, it was the hiring of coach uh, David Fisdale. What were your thoughts on the hiring? I liked them a lot. I'll be honest, originally I uh, was a big fan of uh, Mike Buds over in Atlanta, but, you know, I did a little more digging on it. And, you know, I realized when they had that 60-win team, they were kind of stacked. They had Horford, Millsap, Key, Schroeder, uh, Corver was on that team, mm-hmm. and they got swept by Cleveland. And I, I just, I don't know, I lost a little faith in his, uh, in his will to uh, push his players a little bit. And I... Uh, I don't know. I think Fizz will bring that in uh, in spades. I got me a little more excited about it. You know, I think the X's and O's are, are going to be fine. I think he's going to be great with the young guys, which is, you know, huge right now. And I don't know. I think I'm a big fan. What about you? I, I would. He was my second favorite candidate. Uh, obviously, in the dream scenario, we, I wanted the Knicks to be able to get Jay Wright from Villanova. Um, but if right. that wasn't a possibility out of all the guys who are available, who coached NBA teams, Fisdale was my guy. And it's strictly because of, you know, he's got such a, he's got such cachet with, with the players. It seems like that for such a long time, given the instability of this organization uh, that we root for, 
that nobody would ever just want to come to the Knicks. Fizdale seems like a guy who'd be able to recruit players to come. Um, and, yes. And that's important. Plus, you know, he seems to get the most out of young players and knows how to push buttons and, and what type of vibe he sets. Um, I like, you know, there's that famous press conference of him talking of the take that for data <laughs> press conference, you know, just fighting for his players. That's all things I, I really respect in a coach. So, yeah, I mean, he he was my guy if we couldn't get Jay right. I'll tell you, I, like you all said, love it all. I just I'll tell you the one little, little thing that concerned me. And, and it's not what most people think. I, I'm just like say one percent concerned that LeBron James factored into his hiring. And and you know what? Obviously that's a great thing. But if that was even a factor in bringing him in, like let's say, oh, well, you know, he's got great connections with LeBron. Maybe that'll uh push him over the top just even a little bit. I, I hope that wasn't the case. And that's the one little tiny thing that made me a little nervous when we brought him in. But you know what he did with the uh, with Nilakina, Moutier, Damian Dodson, bring them to that game down in Boston. I thought that was awesome. I thought that was great. I thought it showed right away that leadership that he was that, we're, that everyone's talking about. And I don't know. I thought that was an awesome move. Going down a, there. Yeah, he's a guy who seems to uh, be a take the bull by his horns kind of thing. And he got the raw deal in Memphis. And you he know, did. guys who are who are exceedingly motivated. I mean, that's what we need. We need guys who are motivated to prove, um, you know, that it was in uh, aberration. So I really love the hire. Obviously, it doesn't matter unless you have players. Um, but so far, so good. So I guess I mean, he did a pretty great job with Conley over there. He, he yeah. took him to a whole nother level. Yep. And and Marcus all turned. I know they had their feud, but Marcus all turned into a really, really, you know, even more well-rounded player with his extended range with all this stuff. And, and he gets a lot of credit for that. Um, so now, uh, so where the Knicks stand now with their roster, obviously, you know, the crown jewel is recovering an ACL uh, injury. Luckily it's an ACL and he's 22 years old and those are somewhat easier to recover from now. Um, but uh, given the Knicks cap situation, so, it all depends really on what Enos Cantor decides to do uh, and his $8.6 million, eight, I should say $18.6 million uh, option. I mean, if he opts in, the Knicks are pretty much up against the cap line. Uh, again, what are the, depending on what they do with Joe Kim Noah and that albatross. But if Cantor opts out uh, and becomes a free agent, um, they have $18.6 million in, in room. What, what do you anticipate the Knicks doing in the free agency market this offseason? I see them doing almost nothing, very little. Good, I, I hope so. You know, short-term deals, small contracts, um, hopefully. But I think that's also with the idea that Kanner is going to be resigning. Who knows what you know, Kyle Quinn's going to do. But... You know, it's all going to depend on those two guys right there. You know, maybe they can, you know, make a trade with Lee. Maybe, but Noah's obviously not going anywhere. So I'm hoping those guys re- opt in strictly so that we can't make any big signings. I don't want any. Obviously, LeBron not a signing. That's a whole new, you know, different story. But right, and a pipe dream. Otherwise, and a pipe dream. That's never going to happen. So no need to even consider it. So small contracts, that's it. Get ready for next year when we'll have a lot more money. The best thing I think they can do is this year, hope that Canner opts in. Um, So they have an exceedingly clean cap going forward. Um, I mean, they have Kylo Quinn's bird rights, so they'll be able to re-sign him. I mean, guys like Michael Beasley, they might let walk. Uh, they may be able to fit him in. I know they don't have his bird rights, so we'll see. But it also depends on what they do with Joe Kim Noah in terms of if they just keep him or do they or do they stretch him and, and wave him. I mean, what would you do with Joe Kim Noah? Look, I, I like Beasley a lot. I thought he was great for us this year. But in all honesty, we're not making the playoffs next year. So having Michael right. Beasley on the New York Knicks next year doesn't really, you know, matter to me all that much. We keep Noah one more year. It's it's what is it? One or two less years that we have to keep him on, on our on our cap during the stretch provision. Mm-hmm. So I, keep him another year. You can waive him next year. 
and you know we'll be much better off why do anything to change next year's team if it's not going to help us make the playoffs especially so I, I don't think oh, yeah. need yeah especially with uh Kristaps not coming back until february at least um it, it's not worth it they should just be thinking long term don't do anything. Just don't do anything stupid, and we'll actually have a clean cap. We'll have picks going forward. We'll we will have made you know first round selections uh, in Frank in in this year's pick. Um, Next I, year's pick, yeah, which will probably be top five pick at this point. I, I mean, without Kristaps, first half of the year, I mean, when he notoriously starts out really strong, I mean, we're just going to be awful. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, we're gonna be awful, but you know what? That that's how you get good in the NBA. You got it. You got it. It's how you get good anywhere, right? In any sport, you gotta be bad to be good. You gotta be bad to have a chance. And and I know Philly has been talking about this, but it, it's like this process works, and you just have to trust it. Now, it would it would help if we had picked Donovan Mitchell over Frank Nilakina. Sure, it oh, would it would speed up things, but. You know, the draft, as we're going to get into a little bit, is is such an incredible crapshoot. Um, but you want the most cracks at at the uh, at the apple. And, you know, you, you just got to wait it out. Let Kristaps get healthy. You're going to have young players and then you're going to have a cleaner cap. And then you then you can do some things. I mean, the first step in the NBA is to get a blue chipper. Right. We have all it is. And we have that. We had the guy who is an all NBA level performer he just happened to have torn his knee apart and and he'll be back and there's no reason to rush him back so just it's about accumulating the young talent and then taking it from there so now exactly. uh, so now on to the draft right um this year's draft is is a little bit of an interesting draft because you have a couple of teams that are notoriously not good at doing anything like the Sacramento Kings uh, you know, in the driver's seat at number two, you have the Phoenix Suns who have had a really bad draft history outside Devin Booker the last five years. You have, you know, um, prospects like Trey Young, who people are all over the map about in terms of how good they think he's going to be, how crappy they think he's going to be. And he can range anywhere from like even as crazy it is like number three to all the way down to like number 14, the end of the lottery. Um, but what's also interesting is it's a lot of uh, on the top end of the lottery, it seems like, according to all the mock drafts, it's a lot of fours and fives, a lot of big guys. And we've seen yes. that, you know, Golden State and Houston and even Boston to some degree, you know, they focus on getting guys who can play the positions, you know, two, three and four as opposed to traditional fours and fives. So, I mean, what's what's your opinion on this year's uh draft prospects well for starters uh, i think there are some pretty good ones in there but one that i i really do not like is trey young and explain obviously there's something about him that i i can't put my finger on maybe he has shorter arm shorter arms maybe he's just you know he takes such crazy shots and don't get me wrong does a pretty good job with them it just seems like there's no rhyme or reason to what he's doing out there. He's just, you know, firing at will almost. And I don't think that kind of game is going to produce as well in the NBA when you have, you know, players out there defensively that can play extremely close up on him. And I know everyone talks about Steph Curry, but Steph Curry a, has much longer arms, has a much purer release. I, I don't see the, you know, I don't see the Steph Curry in him that a lot of other people see. And maybe I'm wrong about that, but I, I don't know. I just, a little shorter. I, I just don't see it. So here, here's my take on Trey Young. Uh, before I get, I do that. Cause I, I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, and he's, you know, not as physical as, as Curry, the guy who he gets calm to. And, you know, he's not nearly the defender because Curry's an actually underrated defender at this point. On the ball, yes. He's not as bad as people think. Yeah, so I I, tr- I mean, Trey Young is going to get definitely get attacked on that end. Um, but I guess, I guess the argument for Trey Young to play devil's advocate is that if you look at where he went to school, you know, he was recruited by Kentucky. 
and he decided to go to Oklahoma because he wanted to be closer to home. And as a result, he ended up playing with guys who weren't nearly anywhere remotely near his level, right? So he's an excellent passer, and he's a very good ball handler and has good vision. And these guys just couldn't see the things he's seeing on the court, you know? And so he was forced, in essence, to really just play one on five sometimes, which is just absurd. I mean, you would think in the NBA, given the uh, lack of, um, you know, that they don't play zone defense, there's more spacing, the um, there's higher level, uh, higher caliber player that he should, he could theoretically be better in the pros. No. I, I look, I hear what you're saying. And the name that comes to mind when I think about Trey young is Kemba Walker. I think he's a little closer to Kemba than he is Steph. And, you know, that's not a bad comparison at all if you're Trey Young. But I don't know if he's as talented as Kemba Walker is. I think he can do a lot of the things Kemba can do. But I don't know. Is he as fast? Is he going to be as quick? Is he going to be able to get those shots off like Kemba can? Can he fade away when he's taking that three? Maybe he'll be a better, you know, off the ball type shooter where he's able to do a lot of catch and shoots where he has a little more space. I don't know. I guess it, it's all going to depend on what team he goes to, the type of system they play, the type of coach he has, um, and if they can get the best out of him. So, but, just, yeah, just to compare, and that's a lot of these prospects, right? It all depends right. on the organization they go to and, and the fit. In terms of the comparison to Kemba Walker, I mean, I think he's a little bit taller. I don't think he's as sturdy as Kemba. I think he's a little bit taller. And Kemba turned out to be, you know, an excellent, excellent player. Um, He's got got better range than Kemba, you know, especially when Kemba first came into the league. And and Kemba worked his tail off to be as good as he is right now. Uh, I mean, so all signs say that he's like a high character guy. Um, I mean, but forever, for every Kemba Walker, there's, you know, and I'm not saying that there this, he's the same as this guy because who really knows, but then there's Jimmer Fredette, right? Somebody who had a limited range, you know, somebody who was, was stronger, but they questioned how he would fare, you know, in the pros and, and just didn't work out. I mean, I, I think the logical destination, um, for Trey Young in terms of where he's going to land is at six with Orlando because Orlando's got a bevy of, of forwards and centers. They have absolutely no guards and they need that star power, right? Somebody who can, if all goes well, can be a transcendent type superstar that can put points on the board. And, you know, Trey Young at his best comp, you know, can do that. And if right. it goes bad, it's just going to go bad. But he's kind of like the swing guy in this year's draft because if Orlando doesn't take him, I mean, you know, he's in play at Cleveland. He's in play maybe for the Bulls. I don't think so, but he's, he would be in play for Cleveland. I mean, he would be in play for the Knicks, even though I've heard, and we'll get to the Knicks in a second and what they should do, um, even though uh, reports that he had a bad workout for them. But how much stock do you really put in these workouts? He seems to be the guy that most people are divided on in terms of who's going to go in the early mid lottery. Yeah, I think Orlando is a very interesting spot for Trey Young. I love Cleveland for Trey Young. I think that would be the perfect spot for him. Obviously, you know, contingent on LeBron staying there, but even without LeBron, I think that would be a great landing spot for him. Orlando is a very interesting place for him to go. I don't know if they'll pull the trigger though. If Bamba's available to them at six, I mean, how do you, you know, go Trey Young over Bamba? I, I, I don't know. What would you do there? Would you go Bamba or would you go Young? No, I, I would. I would go Trey Young and swing for the fences. Okay. If you're Orlando, what do you what do you have to lose? You're you've been stuck in in this purgatory since the Dwight Howard trade, right? You have, and not that you should always when you're bad, you shouldn't draft for need. You know, you should, my feeling is just take the best player available and that's how you build teams. You get good players, but at a certain point, you have to take guys who can shoot outside 15 feet like that. It's, it's just sorely needed. 
I, I mean, I agree with you. In today's game, you, you need it. You need to be outside in, not inside out. You know, you need that three-point shot. <sighs> it's interesting. I mean, swing for the fences with it. I, I like how you think about with that. Trying to Orlando could be very interesting. I, I like it. So the other prospect um, that I think we differ on in terms of who's going to go high in the draft is Marvin Bagley. Um, yes. I am personally exceedingly high on Marvin Bagley. Um, but I want to hear your thoughts on Bagley and, and what makes you nervous. Um, and, you know, because he's going to be consensus, it seems like, to be a top four pick. Yes. And look, I don't have any legitimate problems with Marvin Bagley. I just think when you're discussing, when you're having the conversation of Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter, to me, the answer is I would rather Carter slightly later than take Bagley as a top three or four pick. So for you, it's about, and, so, okay. So for you, it's about the value of the spot, not necessarily the player. Correct. And obviously, you know, it depends on where you are in the draft. And yes, you can obviously trade back, but that's not always the easiest thing to do. So I think it's really just in this case, I would prefer Carter slightly later than Bagley earlier. Not that there's obviously much that can be done about that where, you know, where you draft, but I do like Bagley. I think offensively guy has a lot of offensive talent. His rebounding that second hop he gets, it's unbelievable. I don't think I've ever seen anyone with so much second hop like that. His his spin move when he's, you know, free throw, uh, free throw line extended is absolutely devastating so i do see the offensive talent with him but does that translate to a a winning ball club his type of offensive talent so you're thinking that he may be just like uh an empty calories stats guy yeah he can be uh that's the way i see him now is that now is that because you have the the defensive the defensive concerns with him because you know duke played a zone Okay. I absolutely. Now, look, he might show a little more defense in the NBA than he did in college, but I, I just love the defense Wendell Carter brings to the table. Right. For me, to build a team properly, you need guys who play defense first. That's just the way I look at it, which is why I love Neil Aquina. Right. I love the defense he brings to the table. Offense is something you can teach if you have certain abilities. I don't think you can teach all-world type defense. I think you could, like Kawhi, you can teach good offense. I mean, he's the most extreme example of a of guy course, who came in, you know, and developed Butler, his offense. Right. Jimmy you know, Butler's another you know, one. There, there, there are cases where, you know, Paul George was a much better defensive player coming out of college than he was offensively. Right. I mean, he dropped it, you know, he improved his game a tremendous amount as well. I just think it's easy. You know, we hear more stories of players who are excellent defensively becoming very good offensive options. than we do hearing about guys who are, extremely offensive talented, and, you know, became an all world defensive player. Well, I, I don't think you need depending and again uh, on the place he lands. I don't think he needs to be an all world defensive player. I mean, if you're going to get 22 and 10 um, religiously, you know, if you try hard on defense, you know, you'll generally do okay. If you just put in the effort, uh, especially given okay. his athleticism, but yeah. I, yeah, there, there are certain things on rotate matters, right? Team, team matters. Sure. Right. And yeah. at this point we're talking about the Sacramento Kings. Do we think Marvin Bagley can go to the Kings and, and turn around that team with the way he's going to attack it? He's going to be fantastic offensively, but is that what the Kings need? They need players who are going to start on the defensive end and are going to build something special together and, and attack it head on offensively. I don't think he's going to bring that winning type attitude to the team. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Well, I, I guess my retort is the Kings need so much. So like you just so have much. to guy have to get a guy in there who a is going to want to be in there. And we'll talk about uh, Luka Doncic in a second. Um, Luka Doncic, exactly. Jaron Jackson. But just back to Bagley for a second. Bagley has the, the thing I like about Bagley is we know in this process, especially since uh, the one and done thing, that you know the top top level high school players 
The top-rated high school players are going to go on to college. They're going to stay one year, and then they're going to come out, and they're going to be the highest picks in the draft. And we know that to right. you know to get those guys, those guys are going to have the best shot at being the best pros going forward. Bagley best once pros. right. Bagley but once that doesn't mean sure best players right. But Bagley once he reclassified right and went right. into this year's draft. He became the number one prospect going into the draft. And it's not like he showed anything at Duke to say that he shouldn't be that way. I mean, the other guy you can make the case for going into this year's draft, or I should say going into their freshman season, was was Michael Porter Jr. Um, And obviously injury concerns with him. But before that, he was he won basically every single high school award uh, known possible. And like the only other guys who did that were like LeBron James and Chris Webber at their age. And, and they turned to be, out to be fair. He, he is six. He is six eleven. He's probably been six, you know, six, eight, six, nine, six, ten since he was in like 10th grade. But I mean, players that are that big and that skilled offensively in high school usually look way better than everyone else out there. I mean, right. You know, we're not talking about a guy here who's, you know, six, eight, can do a lot of things on the court, you know, and while still standing out, doesn't, you know, translate as well. He obviously is 6'11". He stands out from everyone in high school. He's, of course, he's going to dominate and win every single award. But how many players with his skill set and his size enter the NBA and become winning franchise players? Who are we talking about, Bagley or Porter? Bag, Bagley right now. But, uh, I mean, look, Porter I don't know, is very Chris, hard to discuss because he's been hurt. We, we don't know what he's going to be. So we know he had the talent. He hasn't played for a year. I'm sure he has tremendous talent. Is he healthy? Was he 100% cleared? I mean, he was, right, on Friday? Uh, I, he canceled the workout. Um, he had, I think, a... Yeah. Uh, uh, a strained hip or something like that. He canceled the workout, but I think he's good to go now. I mean, he just, he had a disc issue in his back at 19 years old. I mean, that's, that's kind of scary for anybody, but back to Bagley for a second. um, I personally, I I just see Chris Bosch, right? I see a guy who's super athletic at that age. I should say at that, at that size and that height, he runs the floor like a gazelle. He's an excellent rebounder. Um, you know, he's, he's around the basket. I mean, he's shown the ability to hit threes in college. I mean, he played small forward in high school. That's a good comparison. I mean, and and Chris Bosh is, was excellent. So I, Chris Chris Bosh was also very good defensively though. Right. But he, he he learned that blocks, but right. But he learned that as he got, as he got older, as he got more mature. I mean, I just, that's true. I, you know, the the upside for him to get a guy like that who could potentially be inside and out because he, he's he got a decent looking stroke from three. I, I just and I like Wendell Carter and he's somebody who may be in play for the Knicks at nine. Um, but I just I just think, you know, I am higher on Bagley than than I think most. No, I don't think I, I mean, look, he's still considered by most the second pick in the draft. So I think a lot of people are high on him. And, and look, I think he should go top four. I think he would fit perfectly with Memphis and at the fourth pick. I, I think next to Gasol, he, his skills would be perfect. And I think they would translate so well yep. next to a player like him. So I, I do hope he doesn't go to Sacramento. I do hope he goes to Memphis and can really take off there. And, and I think in terms of fit, I think Donich does fit better with Sacramento and Jared Jackson fits great with Alana. So I do hope Bagley falls to four. And I don't think that would be an indictment on him or his talent. No, I think, you know, I, I think that would be the best case scenario for him also. I just, but yeah. from all the reports said that like he wants to be the guy who's, who goes as early as he possibly can. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Sacramento picks him at two, I mean, and pairs him yeah, with like yeah. a defensive big, like Willie Cauley Stein, I mean, maybe, and maybe he can come in because he's ultra competitive and be a culture changer, changer. Who knows? Um, Luka Doncic, Luka Doncic, who by many is considered um, the top prospect in the draft. And just for, so everybody knows who he is. He's, 
the 18-year-old who is playing for Real Madrid. Um, he's accomplished a tremendous amount for any player at that age over in the EuroLeague. Um, he was, you know, he's showed up and played really well against NBA um, players. Uh, he had a good showing against Spain, against Ricky Rubio. Uh, he played against Kristaps Porzingis in the in the Euro basket and and showed out. He's somebody who's accomplished a lot, but you know he has the concerns uh, and the stigma of being a European wing player. We've seen European bigs succeed in this league: Kristaps, Dirk Nowitzki, you know, just to name two off the top of my head, but. The wing guys haven't necessarily, it hasn't always, you know, translated, you know, Mario, Mario Hazonia of a couple of years ago um, had all the swagger in the world playing for Real Madrid and, and really hasn't amounted to anything. So, you know, now Luca's going through sort of the ringer of, of being potentially the top pick in the draft, even though he's not going to go one. But now potentially sliding out of the top four, top five in in weird scenarios. I mean, what do you think of Luca, and where would you take him? I would take him number one. I, I love him. I, I, ag- I agree with you, by you the know, way. I agree with I you, by the way. Best player. Yeah, good. You should. You know, it, it's pretty straightforward. He, his talent is through the roof. I mean, he's he's LeBron James. He's not LeBron James, but. That's the way he plays. Magic, LeBron, that type of 6'8 style offense. And I wouldn't even <laughs> compare him to Ben Simmons because he is such a better shooter than Ben Simmons is. Uh, the comparison is even close when you talk about shooting. I, I, I just think in any other draft or, you know what, that's not true. I, I don't know if he would ever be able to get picked number one just with the stigma of players coming over from Europe. But uh, I think that's a shame. I, I think he's extremely talented the only knock i have on him is that he's been playing for like 18 19 straight months and i think even for a kid who's 18 or 19 that could be a lot but i think he's a franchise changer and i really think sacramento should take him at two i think he would do wonders for that franchise i really do so even perfect so you think sacramento should call um should call Luca's bluff in terms of his agent saying he doesn't want to go there. Heck yes. Okay. Call that bluff. Make him come. And look, you know what? If he doesn't come, look, you can always trade that. I mean, we've seen players come over and be extremely talented. Uh, I, I don't think his value will be hurt if you decide, you know, he doesn't want to come over and you need to trade him. I really don't think that'll affect anything, but call his bluff, make him, come to you. I, I agree with you, but I think the, I think the Kings are going to be a little gun shy about it. I know they uh, are infatuated with Michael Porter jr. Um, so they may look to move back. Uh, I'm with you on Luca. He's got like that so, Manu Ginobili type feel to him in terms of being crafty with the ball. He's a good passer, knows how to use ball screens passer. and he's six, eight. And he's been right. playing pro ball for like two years now. And he's been yes. through a full pro season. Like that and has to matter. Shooter, it should matter. It absolutely should matter. And if I'm the Kings, I don't just take Bagley because you're scared to take Porter at two and you're afraid to take Donich because he's not going to come over. I think that would be typical Sacramento Kings basketball. And they should not do it. They should either take look if you have the conviction, if you think Porter is going to be the player he's supposed to be, then take him at two. And you know what? If we look back in 10 years and it was the wrong pick, it was the wrong pick. But don't have buyers from buyer remorse. Do not make the pick just because you're afraid to take Porter and you don't think Donich is going to come over. Don't take Bagley for that reason. I agree with you. The only thing is, is that Sacramento needs to nail this one because they don't have a pick next year. So it's like they really yeah. got to really got to nail this one. So let's say, you know, in a crazy scenario that, you know, they're so infatuated with Michael Porter Jr. And and I understand it considering the accolades that he's had, um, his size and his skills. And he goes to right Atlanta at three. Like you would have to take Luca there. No. Yes, 
of course, you got to take him three. I mean, oh man, if he pulls pulls past three, that'll be one huge crime. If he goes to Memphis and he gets to play with Mike Conley and Marcus Sola, are you kidding me? That would be the best team they've had in the last 10 years. And that team has been pretty good when those two guys were healthy. Yep. I, I mean, you're really going to let Memphis walk away with Donich? Uh, wow. I would yeah. I would assume that, you know, Memphis, uh, according to uh, Chris Vernon, someone who I respect his basketball opinion a lot, you know, the two guys that he wants out of the top four are Bagley and Doncic. And I personally think they are the two best players, you know, two best prospects in the draft. Uh, I mean, look, we differ on Bagley. I still think he's a top four, top five talent. Um, him and Porter are very similar to me. I love Jaron Jackson. So to me, that, that's my top five. And you can put Bagley and Porter in any, you know, which order you want at four and five to me. But yeah, if Don, if if he falls to three and Atlanta doesn't take him, uh, I don't know. You meant? I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say I, I can't. I can't see them taking Bagley over Doncic if Porter goes at two. I just can't. I uh, who knows? I mean, the Atlanta is such a wild card. Um, you mentioned a name um, that is seems to be consensusly top three. Uh, Jaron Jackson. Uh, the um, the front court player, four or five from Michigan State. Now, everybody seems to love him. He's one of the youngest players in the draft. He's not even 19 yet. Um, people love his upside. They love the fact that he made threes in college. They love the fact that he blocked shots. What am I missing here? Because I don't see it with him. And I know Tom Izzo did a terrible job with Michigan State coaching them this year. But he didn't play him in the final minutes against Syracuse in that tournament game. And, and to me, like, that's a little telling that we – should we be nervous about Jaron Jackson? Look, I, I don't think so. I, I think we've, it's been established how different college basketball is than the NBA, how, how the coaches attack every single possession, how, how, the, how, how they go about it as a team. I, I don't think we have to worry about that even a little bit. I mean, Jaron Jackson – Averaged over three blocks a game in college. I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty good. You know, Aiden and Bamba level, and, and we haven't even discussed his offensive side yet. I mean, he at, at his worst, at his worst, he's an excellent three and D player. He got an excellent three point shot. I believe he shot over forty percent from deep. Um, he can drive. I don't know if his handles are there quite yet, but that's obviously something he can develop. I think this is a kid who can help you win a lot of basketball games. He's exactly what you need in today's game. An excellent defensive player, someone who can score and someone who can help you win games. And he will help you do that more than a lot of players in this draft. I mean, there's not many better than him defensively and he can absolutely score. So what's not to see, but ideally, I don't get it. Right. So ideally he should be playing the center spot, right? But if he goes to Atlanta, I mean, to start, it's going to be kind of a similar situation he had at Michigan State because he's going to be playing with a guy that they drafted last year that they really like in John Collins, who isn't necessarily a, um, you know, he's not like a stretch big either. So I don't know. I mean, the draft is so hard. Jaron Jackson is a stretch big, though. But is he so – Right, but if he if teams go small for your Atlanta and, and for Atlanta it doesn't really matter because they want to be bad for a while to to right. build players, but you know if you're playing against a guy you know a team that goes small and they go four out with one true big, I mean, who does Jaron Jackson guard? Is he able is he able to stay in front of you know uh, potential three fours? Yes, because, he can. He absolutely can. For extend for extended minutes. That I don't know. That you know <laughs> that we'll have to see in the NBA. But I mean, look, if he falls to five, I think Dallas is going to be jumping for joy if they can fit him with Dennis Smith Jr. next year. I think they'd be a lot of fun to watch the two of them together. I think, look. I hope for Memphis' sake they get Don Tish. I think John Jackson would be a great for next to Casol. 
I, I worry a little bit, like you said, about the fit with Collins, but if he goes anywhere between four and five, I, I think he's going to make one team there very, very happy. And, and I mean, and, he's 18. He's going to be, you know, he's, yeah. he's going to be, he's super young and, and hopefully he develops. Uh, I just, the thing about him with, with the college situation, again, college, sometimes, you know, each situation isn't necessarily the best, uh, Big guys, it's really hard to judge in terms of, you know, how they look because of the rules and the nature of the college game. But it's just interesting. So I guess before we go into, I guess, the Knicks and the draft, um, let's um, so we'll we'll just go through the top 10 just for now, just to um, to see what's going on here. Um, So Phoenix at one, we both agree that they're going to take DeAndre Ayton, the center from Arizona, correct? Yes, I think we can agree with that. Uh, he, out of all the guys, the top prospects, he makes me the most nervous. Like I, I, if I was drafting, I would not touch him, you know, with a 10 foot pole, but I, I guess I'm in the minority here. Yeah. Look, I, I mean, I think at worst he's the second overall pick, but I don't blame the Suns for taking in. Uh, I mean, how can you, you know, not be attracted to all that, you know, seven foot one can shoot the ball pretty well. He, is not great defensively right now, but that's an understatement. At that height, yes, but at that height, you can become average. Um, but but again, in today's NBA, does he fit as well as he could? He's no Joel Embiid, so I, you know, right. I don't know. You're right. I I, I would absolutely take Doncic there, but 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 know, Aiton's going to go one. Aiton's going right, to go exactly. one. So at two, uh, who do we think is going to go there? I mean, this is like you can go right. all over the place, I, right? I, I think it ends up being Bagley. So Bagley I think goes it's to Bagley because he's the least of, of the three evils between him, Porter, and Doncic. All right, so Atlanta at three. We we assume that Jaron Jackson's going to be the pick. Uh, yeah, I think so. So Memphis, Unless they are afraid, and uh, yeah, and Memphis gets Doncic. So Memphis gets Doncic at four. Dallas, yeah, at but, uh, f- I I do think that. If Atlanta wises up, they'll take Doncic, but I don't know. I don't know. If, you know, I think they'll right. let them bluff them, just like Sacramento. So it, it looks like the top four is going to be some order of Aiton, Bagley, Doncic, Jackson. So Dallas at five. Um, who do we think they're going to take? I mean, they. It looks like they're going to take. Uh, you know, the tantalizing talent of Mo Bamba and his seven ten wingspan and his you know, and, and be swayed by the workout videos um, uh, with him shooting threes. I, I just, I just don't know. Like if you're Dallas where, I, I mean, I, I feel like you have to just, you know, it's the swing for the fence thing and it could potentially be awesome. So I, I, I don't so, begrudge them for doing it. But I agree with you though. They should go Porter. If that's what you're thinking. So you, so they should go Porter. So you think they should go Porter, which I don't mind either. I like either one of those guys could theoretically be the best player in this year's draft and to get them at five, like to get a a player like that at five is, is a coup. Um, But I I mean, I do think they're going to end up taking Bamba if, if all goes to plan, I guess. Yeah. But if Sacramento goes with Porter, I can see Jaron Jackson being the guy at five and I can see him being a perfect fit for that team. So you know, hope that Porter goes too. Yeah. Uh, Orlando, I think, is going to tra- take Trey Young at six. Um, Chicago at seven is a little, a little interesting. I think they can go a bunch of different ways. Where do you think they're going to go? Ooh, that is a very good question. But... <sighs> See, here's the grit. Here's I the landing spot. Carter, right. So but, that's one possibility, but here's the really good landing spot for Michael Porter. Yes. Okay. So if Bamba goes five to Dallas, then yeah, Michael Porter would be an excellent fit for Chicago. And I can't see him going past Chicago at seven. And now at eight, we have the Cavs, which, you know, they have a LeBron issue, um, trying to keep LeBron, um, well, at that point you got to take harder because I don't think. I would take 
Well, that, I don't think I would right. take Larry Knox or Lonnie Walker. Uh, Larry, Lonnie Walker, Lonnie Walker, right? Lonnie Walker and Kevin Knox. Lonnie Walker, yes, Kevin Knox. I would. I don't think I would take either one of them over Wendell Carter. So you got to take Carter here. So if you're the Cavs, I mean, if if you're really trying to keep LeBron, I think you have to trade the pick for something. The problem is, is I don't know. What I, I can't envision a trade out there with the eighth overall pick that is really going to bring back something substantial that that's going to um, that's going to no. keep him, you know, and entice him to stay. So you kind of have to make the pick and just take the best player available, um, whether he's there or he's not there. Um, Honestly, if you want to make that argument, I don't think Mikael Bridges is a, is a terrible pick for the Cavs at eight right there. I think he can play a, a very strong two defensively and offensively. He's a, he's a perfect catch and shoot guy for LeBron. So mm-hmm. if we're making the argument that LeBron, you know, does everything and is the point guard bridges is the perfect shoot, catch and shoot guy for him. That can also play defensively. So I kind of like bridges for for Cleveland over Wendell Carter. Yeah. And, and if LeBron leaves, well then you, you, well, Bridges could at least be a building block in the future, but right, it's pretty bleak after that. Carter and Bridge, the, Car- the difference between Carter and Bridges isn't big enough that you can make the best, you know, player available argument for Carter. You can absolutely take Bridges there and walk away happy, even if LeBron leaves. Right, and then we have our our New York Knicks, our beloved New York Knicks at number nine. Um, they're rumored to be after uh, Kevin Knox out of Kentucky, who's the six nine uh, combo forward who can shoot it. Who's um, you know had his question marks, being that you know Kentucky guys generally produce little question marks. There be they've been rumored to be connected to uh, Duke uh, big man Wendell Carter, who can be a nice fit if he's anything like Al Horford. That'd be a win. Mikael Bridges has been, you know, somebody who's been associated with them. Miles Bridges out of Michigan State. Um, I guess in, in your ideal scenario uh, at nine, who do you want to see the Knicks take? I will be very upset if Wendell Carter or Mikael Bridges are there and we don't take one of those two players. If one of those two guys falls down to the Knicks and we take someone else, I will be upset. Well, who would be I, that someone else in theory? <sighs> Great question. Kevin Knox, maybe. Um, I don't love Lonnie Walker, and I don't think they'll take him there. Um, I don't think so either. Miles Bridges. I, I, I think if both bridge, Bridges are there, I don't think they're going to take Miles, so I don't think I have to worry about that. I don't think they're going to take Collins Sexton. The only other guy is Kevin Knox, and that's assuming Wendell Carter's taken. If Wendell Carter is there and Bridges is there, it's an interesting conversation for me. So here's the, here's the thing on Kevin Knox, um, because he's sort of been a late riser in the draft. He's all, he's like the second or third youngest player in the draft. Um, he's six, nine, he's shown a little bit of range. He's, he kind of played a little out of position in this Kentucky team. That was a little weird. They didn't have a lot of shooting. He was like their designated shooter. So they put him in spots that didn't look good. I mean, We've seen Kentucky guys like Devin Booker, for example, who didn't look nearly as good on Kentucky while playing for Kentucky because Calipari plays a certain way. And then all of a sudden they get a little bit of freedom in the league and it's like, you know, totally different story. Right. Look, I I hear you on the Kentucky argument. I I really do. But Kevin Knox to me isn't, isn't a knockdown shooter. And obviously Wendell Carter isn't either. But defensively, he brings so much to the table. Kevin Knox, uh, he, he can do a little of everything but except ball handle. And but you don't have, you, you're not asking him to to handle the ball you're not asking really. The ball, but right, but he, but but he's not a, he's not an above average shooter. He's not an above average defensive player. Uh, I I'm not a big fan personally of late risers. I, I think a lot of times they rise because of their metrics during the draft combine, right. what they're able to do there. And I don't love that. If you didn't love him on tape coming in. Don't get fooled by the metrics. Don't get fooled by those by the numbers there. Right. Got to go with what you what you see on TV. You got to see what jumps out on the screen. And Kevin Knox doesn't jump off the screen. I think he's going to be a fine NBA player. Um, if I'm building my team for the future, I would prefer to have a guy like Carter's talent or a guy like Mikael Bridges' talent on my team going forward. Especially with the way the Knicks are built. Right. With KP, with Nilakina. Um, 
growth we're going to have. Hardaway, um, if you want to factor in Trey Burke, if he'll still be around in two, three years. Uh, yeah, he's not he a factor. Garbage. Not a factor. None of these guys are factors. So if you want to consider Neil Hina and KP as the two guys going forward, Carter fits perfectly. So does Bridges. Kevin Knox will fit. I just don't think he fits as well with those two players and the two talent that those two players bring to the table. And if at that point you're building a team and you're comparing two or three guys that are very similar in talent, I go with the guy who fits my team best. And that to me is Bridges. So, but yeah, and, and I, I don't I don't hate any of those. And the Knicks, I, I actually think in a weird way, I'd rather be in the Knicks uh, position than in the Mavericks position, right? Because like a guy like Bamba, who's so tantalizing right. and you're going to agonize over that pick, like the Knicks will, a lot of it's going to be mapped out ahead of them in terms of what they want to take. And, and these guys, like whether it's, you know, Colin Sexton, right? Whether it's um, whether it's Wendell Carter, whether it's Kevin Knox, like, you know, and even Trey Young, if he falls, like they're all kind of in that same grouping talent-wise where, you know, at that at that range, it's kind of like the, the risks um, are outweighed by the, the potential reward yeah, for guys. Exactly. So it's not it's not a terrible spot to be in. I mean, I know there were rumors about uh, Memphis trying to trade back because they're trying to get off of the Chandler Parsons contract. But like the Knicks can somehow get up there to be in a position to take Doncic. That would be the best. But they can they can at least get a player here that's going to be a good player for them for a while, which is yes. something that you haven't been able to say about the Knicks, you know, a whole lot recently. Uh, I mean, look, teams pick seven through ten are all teams in positions to take very good players to really change their franchises for the long term. I mean, not maybe change, but really help them going forward. Very good, solid pieces that are going to help your their teams in the future. Trey Young can really help, you know, Wendell Carter can really help. Porter, if he falls to Chicago, would be a great pick for them. Uh, Cleveland, you know, Cleveland happens to be in a, in a slightly bad spot for them, which I wish for their sake they were seven, not eight, but, or even, you know, in Dallas' spot. But I think the Knicks got very lucky. I think they're in a very good spot. They're going to get one or two players that are going to be very good for them. The Sixers also are going to be in a very good spot to get a player to fall down to them. The team that I'm actually most about and I don't know if I'm jumping out here are the Clippers. I, I feel like they got in, stuck in a really crappy spot in that 12-13 slot. So in but. a sense, yes, because it seems like there's like a clear consensus top ten in terms of elite level prospects, and then you have the Sixers at eleven at twelve and thirteen who may go after that. But where I do see a little value in this draft and um, is definitely later on in the first round and early second round of guys who are just going to be rotation players. Um, and there are a lot of, you know, guards or secondary ball handlers um, later in the draft. Like there's a lot of dudes like Dante DiVincenzo for, uh, out of Villanova, right. you know, uh, set, uh, or backup point guards that will be solid, that could be in the second round, like Devontae Graham or Jalen Brunson, you know, a guy like Grayson Allen at the end of the first round. I think he's going to be an end-of-the-first-round type player because for all of his craziness and his antics at Duke, like, he's an athlete. He's not your primary ball handler, but he can do it in spurts and he can shoot it. So, you know, there, yep. there are plenty of guys like that at the, at the end of the first round. To be in, like, the middle of the first round is, like, the worst spot because you don't want to reach too high. But then again, you also don't want to pass on guys who are going to be rotation players. So, yeah, I don't envy the Clippers at all. One guy that I really like late is Malik Pope. Uh, I have no idea where he's going to fall. But I'm very intrigued to watch him. You heard of, have you heard of Malik Pope? You know who he is? I mean a little I, I mean a little bit. So Malik Pope, coming out of his sophomore year out of San Diego State, was I believe a top ten ring prospect. If he had come into the draft, he would have been an automatic top ten pick. The last two years he kind of uh, you know, had some injuries, didn't play as well. 
but he's coming to the draft and he's someone I'm really watching out for. Cause I, I think if he's taken late, I think he could be a tremendous sleeper for, or a tremendous steal for any team who takes him. I think he's going to be a guy that comes into the NBA and is really able to, you know, do what you have to do in the NBA to succeed. And, and I think he's a great guy to watch for late. So my guy but, like that, besides for Grace Allen is, and I don't know where he's going to go is, uh, you know, out of Villanova, Dante DiVincenzo. Uh, yes. I mean, you try not to pull out, put too much stock in the NCAA tournament, but he balled out in that tournament, and he played yes, for an excellent program, you know, an excellent coach. You can't put a price on that in terms of good coaching. So he's a guy who I actually think is going to go a little bit higher than people, you know, anticipate. I mean, I can see him going in the late teens, or in the early 20s, I know like when he first declared he was maybe a first round pick. Like I think he is easily a top 25 pick. Like I don't think that's a question. I think Grayson Allen could be a you know a very successful player on a winning team. I sure. think he brings that that attitude. Um, Divincenzo also, I think he brings that winning attitude, that big shot making ability. Uh, you know, in crunch time, both those guys have uh, moxie. They just They're have both cold-blooded guys. Yeah. They, they they know when to show up and they know when they need to. It reminded me a lot of JJ Reddick back when he was at Duke. That that cold-blooded instinct, you know, that got people to hate you. But you know, you just, when you showed up, when you walked on the court, you just got to work and you hit the big shots. Look, yeah, I think this, they can really this, help a winning team. This draft is interesting because even when there's a lot of question marks at the top. You know, there's a lot of value to be had in the mid to late first round, early second round. Anyway, I know it's getting late and I've taken up so much of your time, Aton Stern, before we go. Uh, so we want the Knicks to get Wendell Carter at nine, right? But we wouldn't or, be. Um, Bridges at right. nine would be okay too. Or so, at four. So Bridges, Carter, uh, even a guy maybe like Colin Sexton at nine. Or um, I would rather Knox at nine than uh, Sexton. I would agree to too. Honest. So if I had to, if we had to rank them, we're ranking Mikael Bridges one, Wendell Carter two, uh, Kevin Knox three, and Colin Sexton four in terms of the nine spot. Are we in yes, agreement there? I, I I think we are in agreement. I, look, I, I want Bridges more than Carter for this next team, but I do think Carter is the better overall prospect. Um, not by much. And if I had a choice between both players at, you know, at the draft, I would probably take bridges, but I'm sure a lot of people are just going to disagree with us and have Carter yeah. way ahead of bridges. Well, That's we're going to, it's a crap shoot. And we're going to find out on Thursday. Anyway, thanks so much for your time. Uh, it was a pleasure chatting thanks with you. Um, good luck to the Knicks and all the other teams on Thursday. And uh, I'll speak to you soon, my man. Thanks again. Yeah, man. Take care. Have a good night. Speak to you. Bye. All right. Thanks again to my man, Aton Stern, for being so generous with his time. And that is episode 26 of the For the Love of the Game podcast. Uh, good luck to the New York Knicks on draft. Nice. Take us out, Drizzy and crew. You can catch me. What? Wait a minute. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.